you know, right field is a power position, right? So it's like a lot of a lot of good. I mean, especially because Mookie Betts was in the American League forever. Um, thanks again. Because they're not Francisco Lindor away from knocking off the Rays and the Yankees. Just strenuously objecting to security (laughs) and being allowed to stay in the ballpark? In three, two, one, and welcome to Artificial Turf Wars number 187, where we've forgotten to write a tagline. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined by the uh, effervescent Joshua Housem. <laughs> effervescent? <laughs> That's a new one. Uh, uh, yeah, are you, are you in a bubbly mood? I'm in a bubbly mood. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, so we have very briefly the World Series results to touch on, but more importantly, one of the Blue Jays won a major award, as well as some other uh, Blue Jays who were finalists, whatever that meant, for said major awards. Uh, Also, uh, we have some contracts that were, one that was picked up, one that was not. Um, We have news about uh, everyone's favorite large adult son, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, We have, oh, hey, we have an interview with... The great Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. We're going to talk about what's going to happen going into this big bad off season that is in front of us, uh, and then we have a do over because that's what we do. And we have a segment where I, I think we're going to call it "I don't know what to think." Yep, and that'll get us through a podcast. So let us start it off with I. I think congratulations are in order to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who certainly got to the World Series enough times to eventually figure out how to win one. Yeah. Winning the World Series was good for them, and I'm happy that it was not Tampa. (laughs) I was just going to say, you almost, that long pause was almost like, you're not on the Rays side, are you? No. (laughs) Although I did put money on the Rays because the odds were in that favor, but... uh... So I wasn't completely upset. I wouldn't be completely upset, but no, I did not want the race to win because AL East and I'm a Jays fan. Like, of course not. And also the, the Rays have, you know, outdone the Blue Jays so many times. It was like, no, that was you, the Jays fan part at the end. There. Yeah, you should, you should not. Well, I mean, they've outdone everyone in the, in, in this division in so many ways, pinching pennies. It's just so annoying. Whereas the Dodgers just simply spent themselves into an advantageous position and then every mistake that they made they covered with additional spending also Mookie Betts <laughs> yep uh, I, I have no problem with a big money team uh, winning the World Series and I've, I've always kind of been hoping for the Dodgers but I didn't say it out loud this year because every time I've said out loud my World Series pick it's really gone abysmally for that team so there you go moving on into the off yep. season. Yes. To back to the Blue Jays. <laughs> yes, the team we should be talking about. Not Dodger Blue, but Blue Jay Blue. Uh, we have a major award winner, a silver slugger in Teoscar Hernandez. Um, I don't feel like I ever thought that Teoscar Hernandez would win the silver slugger, probably because seeing him as the best offensive right fielder in the league just... I don't know. That's weird to me. I'm glad, but it's weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, right field is a power position, right? So it's like a lot of a lot of good. I mean, especially because Mookie Betts was in the American League forever. Um, thanks again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Tascar Hernandez deserved it, which you know, again, like you said, it's not something we expected going into the season. But he was just excellent for the entire year, really. Yeah, and and I mean certainly we, we can lament whether he should be in right field and and exactly what what impact he has on that side. But from 
I mean, the Silver Slugger is not about that. Silver Slugger is is uh, about how you perform offensively at your primary position. In 16 home runs in 60 games, uh, certainly that starts to raise your eyebrows. And you look in depth into his numbers, and and you know, 340 on base percentage, I think, is. I mean, and I think 579 slugging. I think I was reading. Those are some pretty eye popping numbers over you know a player that's continued to improve over time as well for us so most excellent. yeah yeah and also like the 289 batting average part of it is is also very different for him too right I and mean, the mm-hmm. walk rate was slightly actually it's about the same really as it, as it has been i think on our preview or our review podcast i said it was up i think it was actually down but uh but he got more hits and so his on-base percentage went up and he, you know, cause he was hitting for power and he was among the leaders in barrels, which obviously is very consistent with high batting average and high slugging percentage. So yeah, I mean, he did everything you can do to earn an award like this. And thankfully he was rewarded, which, you know, cause they don't always do it right, but they did. Which is cool. Um, so the other guys who were finalists, and, and you pointed out to me, and I, I, I was pretty sure this was the way it was, the finalists are simply a list of guys who got a bunch of votes, and then we'll wait a little bit, and we'll tell you who actually got the vote. There's no second process to select from the list of finalists. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not like the Oscars, where the nominees come out and then they vote again. It's like, these are the guys who finished one, two, and three in some order. But it's not changing. That's always the case. So who are our finalists in other categories? So the among the gold glovers he did not win was Lourdes Gurriel in left field, which won by Alex Gordon. And then at manager of the year, we have Johnny Montoyo, which is the, – the nominees for this one are fantastic. We'll get to that a little more later on when we get to that segment that Greg teed up at the beginning of the show. Uh, yeah, and uh, – Ryu. And then for Cy Young was Hyunjin Ryu. I mean, that's going to go to Shane Bieber. It's a, a lock. He's going to be unanimous. But I think Ryu was the second best pitcher in the league. Which uh, I think based on his first couple starts, there was a little bit of breath holding. Not not that he was going to be bad, but that he wasn't going to be able to, uh, you know, adapt to kind of this strange um, season and everything else. But then he hit his stride. And yeah, absolutely. He was... He was the most consistent by far that the Blue Jays had, and and that put him at the top of the league. So, you know, it it, it does speak, I think, just to the overall tack of the team going forward that um, there are a few players in here who there's no reason to think that they won't show up on a finalists list. And there are people, you know, players who are a little younger who haven't shown up yet who might, um, that there is there is very real talent on this team in a way that I think is what we've all been hoping for. Yeah, exactly. In you know, I mean, I think that's a takeaway you should have from something like this. And you know, I've seen people talking about like what I what we were talking about here, with, like it's finalist. It's not really a finalist. Like it's a like you're on the podium. But what it does is it it just sort of celebrates these runners up in a way that like gets fans to be like, hey, our guy was among the best in the league. As opposed to the winner of this award is so and so, and then here's the votes. Yeah, it it spreads the attention around a little bit. Yeah, which I think is a nice thing, especially it's like, what else are you going to promote in the league at the beginning of November? It's like, there's nothing else going on in October. <laughs> it's like the World Series is over and the free agency and awards haven't started. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, it created a little bit of buzz somewhere. Uh, the Blue Jays had a couple of contracts that they had options for. Number one, Chase Anderson. We hardly knew ye and your extremely inflated ERA. Yeah, I mean, so... Chase Anderson was objectively not very good this year. <laughs> you know, like you said, 7.22 ERA, not strong. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's much better pitcher than that. And so that's not really reflective of, of who he is, especially because he was injured for the beginning of the season and he could, and he was pitching short bursts. But even in a regular off season, his $9.9 million option or $9.5 million option was going to get declined in this off season. When Brad hand is getting declined at $9.5 million, there was no chance that Chase Anderson was getting picked up. No, he, a victim of both his, his unfortunately poor performance in a short window and an off season market. That is just going to be abysmal for the middle, middle to, you know, just below that top tier free agent. Um, but, but the Blue Jays uh, did score themselves a bargain in Rafael Dolis, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
or speaking of no-brainer options, in the other direction, Rafael Dolis for $1.5 million, it's an absolute steal. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely competent fill-in closer with strikeouts galore. Um, yeah, for dirt cheap. Sweet. I will take one of those, please. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't expect him to be 1.5 ERA again, especially considering he walked as many guys as he did. But with his weak contact generating style of pitching and his strikeouts for $1.5 million, who cares if he's not that good again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he if he turns out to be the seventh inning guy for $1.5 million, that's also and, fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's just a no-brainer. All right. Uh, so I guess we have one other piece of uh, news from the team, and it is we're already into best shape of his life stories, and I'm not sure that that's the normal timeline for these things. <laughs> nah, yeah, it's usually spring training, but you know who knows when or if there's <laughs> going to be a spring training, so they got to get him out when they can, right? Right. Vlad Jr. is the subject of the best shape of his life story. Now, now to be fair, the story's coming out because he began to lose weight at the beginning of the actual start of our weird season after summer camp. Because I, I think we all talked about how when he showed up to summer camp, it was pretty obvious he was a heavier individual than when he had showed up to original spring training. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, the story came out, he lost 32 pounds since the start of the season. And he's down to 250. That means he was to over 280 pounds when he showed up to, to the season. Yeah. And I don't think, like, uh, I, I'm not criticizing him either way. It It is what it is. But I don't think any baseball athlete can perform a full season at 280 pounds, regardless of what his height is, what his build is, anything else. I, I just don't think you can carry 280 with you for if there is a 100 or 120 or 140 game season. I, I just think you're going to break down inevitably. Yeah, I mean, and he even acknowledged in the article that discussed this that it was affecting his swing, how big he was at the start of the season. He couldn't get his arms around the way he was used to. Like, he was just moving a little slower. So... You know, it's good for him that he's able to do this kind of make this kind of change if that's how it's, you know, like I, there's a picture that accompanied this and he looks way better. I mean, it's not just like, you know, murky reports from the Dominican Republic. It was, there was a photo. <laughs> he looked great. Yeah, uh, it's we don't think it's Photoshop. Um, yeah. So I, I think a, you know, just from a staying healthy perspective, a in shape Vlad Jr. is going to be good. But if it's affecting, if he thought it was affecting the way he's swinging, hey, that could put us back into this guy can hit, you know, 300 plus with power territory if if all of the things are, are firing together. And again, I wouldn't be saying that if that was not the pedigree that, that he came with when he came up to the big leagues in the first place. Well, yeah, exactly. And and he and he even said it's like he never wants to be like that again, right? Like he, he acknowledged finally like that's like, hey, this is affecting the way I, my ability to play baseball. And like he's never had issues before, but he was also never that big before. He was big, but not that big. And that's what happens when you get into your 20s. It's like your ability to keep weight off changes. Yeah, because you're, so, you're, you're not growing up anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. So – you know, he's acknowledged that there's an issue and he's working obviously very hard to correct it. And yeah, I mean, it does, cha you know, change your projection for him next year. If he comes up and actually puts in the work in the off season, I think it has to. Yeah. All right. Well, fingers crossed because our fingers have been crossed multiple times for Vlad Jr. Because yeah, uh, pairing him up with a, a Bo Bichette and a Kevin Biggio and, and whomever else the Blue Jays acquire, which we're going to talk to Shai Davidi about in just a few minutes, um, certainly offers a very uh, positive prospect, 100%. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is that he, in the same discussion about you know losing the weight, is he wants to be a third baseman again. And look, I don't know if that's going to happen, but Ross Atkins suggested that it could. And even if he becomes someone who could be a part-time third baseman, yeah, then like a, a, a that 50, opens up so many options. A fifty games a year third baseman. Um, if your if your regular third baseman does not hit righties well, <laughs> as an example, yeah. uh, 
is a way better option than a guy who just can't can't work out over there. So yeah, yeah because and, and I mean, also, but even for like the off season too, right? Say like like I'm going to throw out some names. We'll talk to some. We'll talk to Shai Davidi about them in more specific. But like, say you get a Francisco Lindor or a DJ LeMahieu, right? You get Lindor. Bichette goes to second. Biggio goes to third. I don't know if you want Biggio at third for 160 games. I don't think he's that good there. But like, if you can move Vlad there for a few and move Bichette and move Biggio to first and just give them a little break, or if they get if they get uh, Lemayhew who can play first, second, third, you can give various guys rest, get Rowdy in there. There's just so many options that you can use if Vlad can even just fill in there. So it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we are going to go now to to uh, Shy because we've we've teed it up how many times. Um, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to come back after a very brief break with Mr. Sportsnet, uh, and we will talk to him about what he thinks about the previous season and the off season coming up right after this. And we are happy to welcome back to the program, Mr. Shai Davidi, Sportsnet, uh, what shall I call you? Correspondent extraordinaire. How about that, Shai? I'll, I'll take it. Basically, I, I'm just happy to still have a job right now in these days and time. So, all good. Yeah, um, it was, I mean, that was the season that was, but I, I, I've been thinking about that, that we've talked all, you know, about the players and all the things that have changed with them and their prorated salaries and their weird schedule and their bubbles and everything. Um, what what was your year like compared to trying to cover a normal 162-game season? Well, this is the first time uh, I can, I don't even know when the last time I didn't go to a regular season game in person. <laughs> so, you know, that was really weird. Like the last, the last live baseball I saw was summer camp here. And then there was uh, obviously spring training, uh, the grapefruit league games that I saw, but it was, uh, it's really weird to, to actually not be there in person and to not have a in-person conversation. You need to do some stuff over zoom, obviously some stuff on the phone. Uh, but it was just a, uh, a weird way to cover a season. It was a weird season to begin with. And, uh, you know, um, I'm just happy there was a season because uh, it was fun to just have some baseball and to, you know, take your mind off all the bigger issues that are going on in the world right now. Uh, but it was, it was different. I think everybody, you know, players had to adapt. Broadcasters had to adapt. Uh, writers like myself, we had to adapt. And sort of just make do with uh, with what you got, and and try to try to you know be as provide as much information as we can to uh, to our audience, and uh, because you know that that's the service that we provide, and you know just want to give them uh, you know the the uh, the coverage as close to what it would normally be during uh, a regular season. Was there a moment in the first little bit of the season where you thought uh, that it was not going to get? to the 60 games played mark for everybody um, with the Marlins and everything else. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent the Marlins, uh, that, that was the one I was like, how are they going to do this? Right. And then again with the Cardinals, but you know, I, there are uh, a few epidemiologists that I'd gotten to know during the shutdown uh, who are Toronto based guys or big sports fans. And uh, you know, it just, really communicating with them and getting their takes. And, you know, there's like, they just can't, you know, like they're cooked. Baseball's cooked. It's not, it's not going to happen for them. Right. And, you know, they can't do this. And, and the fact that they managed to somehow keep playing, uh, and, you know, <laughs> essentially, but essentially, like, you know, they got, they went, they went almost two full months with out a positive test for a player, which is, which is crazy considering how much COVID there is uh, in the United States. So, you know, uh, you know, credit to the teams and to major league baseball for adapting as, as things went along, but, you know, based on the, this, what I'd known at that point and, you know, the behaviors and the expected behaviors of, of everybody, you know, I thought as soon as the Marlins happened, you know, it was going to, it was going to be done. And, you know, it was close to, to being done. Like it was, it was talked about at that point, like, you know, can we really go on with this? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so obviously it worked out and we're, we're happy about that. So 
we've had the weird weird season. Now it seems like we're entering a little bit of the weird off season. <laughs> you know, Definitely. we don't know finances. We don't know. I mean, the, the the meetings are going to be all virtual, which we'll get to in a, in a minute. But when it comes to the Blue Jays specifically, have you gotten any indication? I mean, we've seen reports that they'll be aggressive and that maybe they won't be, and who knows? With what you with your reporting and with your sourcing. Do you have any idea of the way the Jays are going to be handling this just on a general level? Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, I don't think they have official finality or, or if they have, they, they certainly haven't, uh, you know, put it out there and, you know, probably behooves them to not necessarily do that. But, you know, the, the indications both publicly and privately is that they're going to have money to work with. I, you know, the, the statement I keep coming back to is, you know, Mark Shapiro saying that, you know, they expect to conduct this offseason similar to the way they did the last one. And, you know, that's not something you say you put out there. It's not an ex- expectation you create unless you're, you know, pretty certain that it's going to happen. So, you know, and, and if you just think about it, if you're sort of matching numbers, you know, last year, the, the Blue Jays, in terms of just year over year payroll increases, you know, they signed or acquired players that added $53 million uh, in salary to the 2020 payroll. So, you know, if they're in and around that neighborhood this year uh, or for this offseason for next year, then they can do a lot of damage on this market. And, you know, just some conversations that I've had with player agents, uh, you know, that that's their expectation. That's their read of the Blue Jays' actions. And, you know, it sounds like the Blue Jays are, as they do every year, but you know, they're being very aggressive, uh, both, uh, you know, on all parts of the food chain, including some of the bigger names that are out there. So I guess I, my question would be, we've heard, I think it was Mark Shapiro say that they're going to be setting the budget at the end of this month. How, how exactly would that kind of thing work? Like if they don't actually have that conversation with Rogers, do you think it was just more of a general thing that they know of now and then they'll get to specifics later based on the options that are presented to them? Yeah, I think that that's sort of one way that it could work, whether, you know, they present a specific plan or it could be, you know, sometimes the way it's worked in the past. And I assume that it could be something similar. It'd be like, hey, well, if we can do this, then this is where we'd expect to be from a financial standpoint. And this is, uh, you know, the type of revenue that we're going to generate uh, if we go that route and, you know, present a few scenarios for them. I think the the tricky part, for the Blue Jays and for anybody, you know, projecting what kind of revenue you might have from a ticket perspective, right? Uh, yeah. You know, ho- hopefully the Blue Jays uh, are back in Toronto next year. So I think that'd be important for the city and fans to have their team back here. Uh, but, you know, if, if they're not here and they're not able to sell tickets, you know, then, you know, are they just relying on TV revenue again? Are they getting a small share of, you know, potential road tickets that, the, you know, games that they play in other cities? Uh, you know, that, that one, that, that's a tough one to project. So, you know, I think that is something the Blue Jays are going to have to deal with. It's something that they'll scenario plan in their budgets. Uh, and, they, and they for sure won't have clarity. Uh, as they go into the majority of this offseason, you know, they're, 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 this is going to be resolved by December or even January. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the, the fact that you've got Mark Shapiro saying, like, we've gotten the commitment they want us to, to uh, we've been told to continue pushing forward on our plan. You know, it, it, it's hard to walk that back. So, you know, you go into this offseason, you don't do you don't do a thing or you're just like, you know, rearranging the deck chairs, you know, that's not going to play. So, you know, for all those reasons, I think that, you know, they've got a pretty good sense of, you know, where they can be, you know, there's probably going to be some movement there or some adjustments. Uh, but, you know, I think they know that they can be active. I am curious about that, you know, coming back to Toronto, obviously everyone wants to have um, the Blue Jays in Toronto, but I just, I'm curious about why that sort of a, well, I'm sure we'll be able to figure that out when there's nothing about the environment um, that shows like a vaccine on the horizon or shows a loosening of the restrictions uh, that would be required to let them cross the border multiple times in a, in a season. Like, well, do you think that there is a path to coming back to Toronto that, that I don't see here, like, or that management sees? (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of hope that there will be some sort of vaccine that will be in play by the time that you're looking at it. So, 
you know, if let's say the season is going to start in April, right? And that's a big if, but let's say that the season starts in April, you know, that's, you know, six months from now, um, you know, some of the vaccine timelines could potentially be in and around that time. Uh, I'm sure that Major League Baseball will, you know, in, uh, you know, even though it, uh, it will be difficult to, to sell public from, from a public standpoint, it can get itself to the front of the line in terms of vaccines and get that into some players, uh, into their players and into their into their clubs and staff. Uh, and maybe that pushes things along. But, you know, I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, the other thing is that even though it doesn't look really good right now, um, you know, hopefully that we're getting some better containment of the virus and, you know, some of the, the wave is passed by then, you know, if there's a, if there's a new government in the United States, uh, a new president of the United States, maybe there, there's some better restrictions and some better uh, measures in place to combat the spread of the virus. And, you know, you're looking at uh, a more, a more stable uh, a process in dealing with it in the United States. Uh, I just think that there's so many variables that I think it's hard to, to predict any of them. But, you know, I think that Major League Baseball and, and the Blue Jays are putting a lot of faith in, in the science right now uh, that there'll, there'll be some advancements in therapeutics. There'll be some advancements in terms of vaccine uh, and maybe some some uh, advances in in public health measures that allow this to happen. Well, I, I hope it happens. I just, I think it's still a bit of a pie in the sky idea at the moment, but I, like I said, I, I, I do hope you're right. Um, so, okay, but let's, let's leave the bigger picture behind. Let's just talk about the nuts and bolts of possibly this off season. So um, my first question I think would be just to throw it out there. Francisco Lindor, do you think this is a, a, a good target for the Blue Jays? Does he slot in in a way that moves the infield around and make it better? And is it a realistic target? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can add Francisco Lindor to your team, yes. But at <laughs> what cost, right? So, like, you know, like, you are you giving up, you know, Jordan Groshans plus for him or Austin Martin plus for him? I, I, I'm not sure that, like, for one year of him. You know, I, I think that that one's really tough unless you've got a negotiating window with them beforehand or you've got a pretty good indication that, you know, you can get a, an extension done at a certain number and it's amenable to both sides, right? So, you know, I think that's how the the Blue Jays would be looking at it. Uh, they're, they're not going to empty out their farm system for one year of Francisco Lindor, nor should they, because they're not Francisco Lindor away from knocking off the Rays and the Yankees. So, um, but, you know, like all, all things being equal, you can get them at a reasonable sense. I mean, maybe you can build a package around Lourdes Gurriel and, and, you know, a couple kids, you know, at that point, all right, well, we're in the ballpark, you know, you're giving up three years of control on Gurriel um, and, and obviously a pretty good player uh, and a bit of upside, but you're getting Francisco Lindor and, and maybe the chance to, to sell him on Toronto. You know, at that point, I think the the value uh, the, the value proposition starts lining up a little bit more. So um, that that's how I would look at that. But you know, if they could do that, I think they they would they in a, in a way that is reasonable. I think they would do it in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, I think they get they have they have buy in uh, from um, from Bo Bichette on that. Uh, you know, I spoke to him last offseason when the Blue Jays checked in on Lindor and, you know, he, they spoke to him about it beforehand. And he said, yeah, I mean, you can get Francisco Lindor. I'll move off shortstop. Uh, so the Blue Jays have, have already crossed a lot of the boxes in terms of, you know, the internal, uh, how it would work internally. Uh, it's just a matter of whether you can line up uh, with with Cleveland uh, in that regard. And, and that to me is where where this probably falls apart. Yeah, I mean, there'll certainly be a lot of competition for Francisco Lindor if he gets put on the market. That said, with the strange nature of this offseason and all the extreme cost-cutting things we've seen so far, like Brad Hand's option not getting picked up or Darren O'Day's, it was like $3 bucks after the buyout. Do you think that, obviously, the Jays could play in the Lindor pool or the George Springer pool if they want to, but I was wondering if you think that it might even be more favorable to them or that they might find it this way to go a step down if people are not spending. So you could get, I don't know, say DJ LeMahieu for $20 million less than maybe you could if people aren't spending. 
Yeah, I mean, a bunch I, of those I think, guys. Yeah, I think I think DJ LeMahieu is definitely someone they're interested in. Uh, but that, I think it also the the way that I've kind of uh, at least thought about it and figured the Blue Jays will approach it is that they'll sort of create all these different scenarios, right? So it's like one one would be built around getting George Springer. Right. And then what, what, what else can you do along with George Springer? And then, you know, maybe there's one that's built around Trevor Bauer. Right. And then there's one that would be built around JT real Mudo. And for sure there's one around DJ LeMahieu. I, I, I'm convinced that the blue Jays, I mean, I know that they tried to sign him the last time around and I'm convinced that, you know, they would love to add him right now. And I mean, who could blame them? He, he kind of fits them in some ways perfectly because, you know, you can play second, you can play first, you can play third, uh, you can move them around. It, it gives you all kinds of flexibility with what you can do with your other infielders and you add an MVP caliber player. So uh, I think that, you know, that one really makes a ton of sense for them and I can see them being uh, pretty aggressive on him. Uh, but that that's how I think they would approach it. It's like, so it's like, you know, it's like you get DJ LeMahieu and maybe, you know, you do like a James Paxton, uh, and a Taiwan Walker, and you know you go a little bit down market on another outfielder, and you know try to. I think I I I can't see them spending a lot of money on the bullpen. We just haven't seen them do that uh, to this point. Um, so I, I I I my guess is that they're doing a lot of sort of value play ads in in the bullpen again. That's generally uh, how this front office has built their pens. Uh, you know, so that's one scenario. And then, you know, there's a different one for, for George Springer where, you know, you're going higher end in the outfield, you know, you go a little bit lower tier on the infield. Uh, and then, you know, you're sort of like going mid market or down starters. Uh, and that's how you're filling out your club. So uh, I, I can see the Blue Jays kind of exploring all those different ones, trying to see what's most feasible, what's, uh, you know, what they can actually get done. Uh, and then, you know, seeing which one they ultimately believe would be the most impactful to their team. So uh, presumably we're going into, you know, the hot stove season where all of the general managers are, are really, once they've, you know, lined up uh, all of their options and, and, and settled on who's left on their rosters. And, and we go through the, you know, all the regular timelines of, of that. We, we're entering the meetings stage as we speak now, I don't think anybody's going down to the Swan and the Dolphin in Disney World and hanging out in the lobby. Uh, so nope. does the fact that, that the meetings were becoming more of a, uh, you know, a sort of a social media kind of thing soften the blow of, of a lack of winter meetings? Or is the fact that there won't be a, a player and an agent uh, wandering around with the general managers, do you think that changes the composition of this kind of, um, you know, that they're – that the things won't necessarily now get done in a in a short time period because there isn't really, you know, a, a, that face to face thing going on. So uh, I'll put it this way, and uh, you know, the the virtual action actually starts, uh, I believe, Monday with the the GM meetings. So the, that's the first one that's going virtual. So uh, it's uh, all the action starting quick. Um, I know a lot of people in the game who for a few years now have been saying, why are we even doing the winter meetings? Right. Mm. And from, I think from a player signing perspective, I don't think it's necessary. Like, yeah, teams get together in person, but they're doing a lot of stuff via text and via phone calls uh, off, you know, beforehand afterwards. Um, you know, some teams they'll just, you know, basically just go there and, and do almost nothing. Cause they just don't like working in that environment. So it's not like the way it used to be where, you know, you came to the winter meetings and that's where stuff was going to get done. Uh, you know, that's been, that's been dead for years now. Uh, so I think from that aspect, I, I don't know that it's going to really change much. I think where, you know, the bigger part of the winter meetings is, you know, the minor league side where, you know, minor league clubs are, are filling out job positions and finding vendors and vendors are selling their wares. You know, that's the part that's really going to be damaged. You know, there's just no substitute for that. And that's really going to hurt the wider industry. But in terms of player signings, I, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this, but I just don't see it having much of an impact at all because, you know, the, the trend has been to, to not necessarily do stuff at the winter meetings. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable thing. We have had a guest on just to talk about the minor league winter meetings and how that is a huge social environment. But this all seems to be part of a, a great Major League Baseball or, a you know, overall baseball strategy to, to kill the minor leagues. And this is certainly not going to help them, you know, rally around their their organization and their part of the sport at all. So I think that's doubly unfortunate for them. For sure. I mean, uh, I mean that this is a whole other discussion. But you know what's been done to the game on the minor league side, and uh, you know I get I get it from the team perspective, and I actually think you can make a pretty good player development argument again uh, or for a more condensed minor leagues. You know, and just you know having having your prospect not build up their numbers against guys who are never going to get out of a ball. Uh, and instead, just playing uh, and developing against tougher competition uh, all along the way, you know that that probably accelerates the process and maybe allows you to weed out players a little bit faster uh, and more efficiently. You know, I, I can see that part, I, but you know, I just think from from a wider business standpoint and growing the game and the good of the sport. You know, being in less communities, having less affiliation, having less good feeling towards your product. You know that's a that's a longer term issue, and you know at a time where you know baseball is having some difficulties connecting with the younger generation, you know that's something that you got to think about, and you know I I think that gets lost a little bit, sort of the rush for dollars right now, and uh, you know sort of squeezing out the margins right now in in creating you know maximum profits. It is. Yeah, it is not where I would I would think you want to be when every high school football team in America has, you know, it seems like fresh, clean uniforms and a, and a fan club in the city and you can't get a minor league baseball team, you know, appropriately funded. Uh, it does make you wonder. Um, yeah, I mean, especially for an industry as wealthy as this one, like, you know, it's the, the money is there and that that's what's sort of sad about it. Uh, so the other thing that uh, we we talked about briefly before you, um, we were you know on recording here was um, the fact that you once upon a time wrote a book about the the big fifty moments in Blue Jays baseball history, and since then there have actually been some more big moments, shocks and surprises. Uh, and you gave a, a little tip off that you might be maybe updating your list. I, I, in fact, I am, and. Uh... It's uh, work is is underway. There's uh, you know that book uh, came out in the spring of 2016, so uh, the 2016 season wasn't in it. Obviously, the 2020 season happened, uh, and that's uh, obviously going to be a memorable one for for many reasons. Uh, so uh, I'm still sort of working out a lot of the stuff in it, but uh, there will be an update coming out this uh, spring, hopefully. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, a little bit stressed right now, and. In this portion of the book production, uh, even on a smaller scale, uh, but it's uh, you know it's it's a fun process. I've had uh, some fun conversations with some people going back and uh, looking back at the different times uh, for for the Blue Jays, uh, and I'm excited about uh, putting it together. If you are sticking to just a big fifty, I do not envy the job of dropping things off of the top fifty list to replace them with other things. <laughs> Yeah, that that part was uh, was difficult. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm lucky that uh, you know I've uh, I have some uh, some really good uh, friends uh, and colleagues who are friends. And, you know, I've been bouncing a lot of ideas off John Lott, and you know he's uh, he's been a, a real uh, a, a real uh, resource for me. And uh, you know, he, congratulations to him on uh, on his retirement uh, after an amazing career. He's uh, he's about as good as it gets. Uh, but I'm, I'm lucky that uh, he's uh, he's being generous with me and helping me out and uh, you know telling me some things that I may not want to hear about uh, the first iteration of the book, uh, <laughs> which is good. Uh, saying you know like yeah, this doesn't need to be here when you know that's not necessarily a comforting feeling. But uh, I'm glad that I've got a chance to do a, a few a chance to do for some do overs and uh, a chance to make it better for this time around. Well, if you have a genuine do-over, you can come on and you'd be the first person to ever actually <laughs> acknowledge a do-over on our show, despite us repeatedly handing out a, a feature we call the do-over uh, opportunity. So um, that would be epic as well. So when the book comes out, uh, if you want to let us know what your biggest do-over was, we would absolutely love to have you on. 
Uh, and in, in that light, w- thank you for coming on today. Um, I think we, we got a, a very in-depth perspective on where we might be going this off-season that we wouldn't have been able to get without you. So thanks for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. I'm glad uh, it feels like we do this every every winter. And uh, uh, hopefully we have uh, an interesting few months uh, to dissect over the course of 2021 and beyond. Indeed, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find Shai Davidi on Sportsnet and on Twitter. Is it still at Shai Davidi? Or underscore? No, it, it, no, no underscores at S-H-I-D-A-V-I-D-I. There you go. All right, folks. Uh, you guys have a good night. Thanks. Take care. And of course, thank you to Shai for coming on and uh, giving us that very important perspective on the prospects of the Blue Jays offseason. Always a pleasure to talk to him. And he might give us a do-over, a real one. That would be astounding. I don't. Presumably, he does not, you know, go at great lengths to listen to our show and the features. I'm we, sure he doesn't. We have. <laughs> um, so he might be mystified why I got so excited about that, and so did you. But, but. All in good time, my friends. Uh, you know what else it's a good time for? It's a good time for questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Then how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. First question from Ellie Yelly Hart is, and I think she was in a very, uh, how should we put it? A very, uh, I don't want to say naughty. That's not the right word mischievous mood when she asked her questions today can the blue jays sue to end the game if they're ahead after seven okay fine so real question perhaps is since 100 miles an hour is a dime a dozen now and the record is chapman's 106 when if ever do you think we'll see someone hit 110 miles an hour so can they sue josh i guess is the first question (laughs) this this was asked i think because the the twitter question said if you have any Non-political questions. Please ask and reply to the street. <laughs> she may, so, she may very have a clever just, way of getting around it, Al. Yeah. Very good. You maintain the context, um, and yet there is no politics in there. Uh, no, this year I, they could in those double headers. Yeah. yeah, they didn't even have to sue. Exactly. Oh um, man. As for the second part, I mean, Nate Pearson thinks he can get to 110 miles an hour at some point. I don't know. I don't know that it's. Like you know, the record is Chapman at 106. No one's actually come that close to it. Uh, you know, Jordan Hicks, I think, has gotten to 104. And if you believe that documentary fastball, Nolan Ryan threw like 108. I don't believe that fa- that documentary because it makes crazy assumptions. But you know, like he's still an outlier. So I think it's a long time before someone clears the outlier by four miles an hour, if ever. I don't. I, I don't think it'll ever happen, to be honest. I think even if you believe that Nolan Ryan threw 108, um, knowing what we know about, I've, I've watched that sports science little mini documentary on Aroldis Chapman, and knowing what we know about the physical attributes that need to to be in place in one individual, plus the practice and training to get to 110 miles an hour, um, I feel like. Like, you know, Araldus Chapman is the Usain Bolt of of baseball throwing. And I don't think we'll ever see someone hit 110, just like I don't think we'll see the hundred, the, the nine second um, hundred meters. There, there, there are real physical limits that we approach in short periods of time. And man, throwing a baseball is a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, guys have hit 110 off a crow hop. That can, you know, but then, but off a mound, unless they totally change the rules about how you're able to pitch, then maybe. Mm. And it is Rob Manfred at the helm, so who knows? Uh, so in response to uh, to me, your your, your question, uh, Jamie Dower JD uh, says you don't think it's collusion that they would spend where others won't. Uh, that was when yeah. You so said, I, sorry. I said that there was. I said it was an interesting off season mm. for the Jays because they have a chance to take advantage of the money issues that other teams are facing if they if they decide they want to spend. So he said, like, you don't think it's collusion that they would spend where others won't. You want to take it? 
I don't... I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I don't think it is collusion at all. <clears throat> I mean, I honestly think that there are teams that lost a lot of money this year, and it's not collusion. They just don't want to lose money. I mean, they don't didn't lose nearly as much as they say they did because they never do, but they still want to make profits. And that's how a lot of them operate. And, you know, the Jays payroll was so low last year that their profit loss margins were probably a lot different than a lot of teams. I mean, they dropped their payroll by like $60 million from the year before. And, you know, they've said, like, as Shai mentioned in the interview, that they, they, they were going to operate this offseason the same way as they did last offseason. And, you know, if there's collusion and you're you're not going to make any offers, you can't say that, as Shai said. Yeah, I, I, when you put it that way, I can see where why. Yeah, I I don't think there's collusion over this. I think that the market has been suppressed for for free agents, but I, I think certainly there are some teams that are going to swing in um, because they can. I just think that there's yeah. more teams that are yeah the, in this. We don't want to spend any money on anything proposition. Yeah, and, uh, you know this, this is something we've seen in recent off seasons, right? Like where yeah. a lot of teams weren't spending. Last off season, people started spending again, but the previous ones were the teams that were willing to spend. They won because they got good players for less money than they would have cost otherwise, and I could absolutely see that happening again. And the Jays seem poised to take advantage of that. So Joe at Jokus one hundred eight asks, "What websites do you recommend for Jays analysis, speculation, opinion in the off season? Ah, the days where we could recommend Blue Jays Plus as your one stop source for all off season news, or BP Toronto, <laughs> or BP Toronto. We were probably better at BP Toronto because we had more." varied voices but yeah um i mean for analysis and you know i in, in speculation i think that the guy we were just talking to is a pretty good one <laughs> you know sport, yeah. you know shy stuff at sports dancing with ben nicholson smith um you know obviously i'm betrayed rumors if you want to just follow the the rumors and speculation is the a plus place yeah they're they're an aggregator primarily right if you if you don't know mlb trade rumors.com that's where you're you're just looking for jays in the headline and they'll give you you know they'll, they'll throw meat at at the uh, hot stove every every day if they can yeah and exactly i mean it will be tough to filter the garbage from the knot because for example they always whenever bob nightingale says something they quote it and he's never right so um as for bob, analysis bob though, nightingale <laughs> yeah you know i think that there's good Jay's analysis at a bunch of different places mixed in with a lot of bad Jay's analysis. I don't want to, you know, like name good and bad ones because that's not what we do. But I think you just have to sort of just pay attention to like the way that people are framing the arguments when they put them out on, you know, into the Twitter world. I'm sorry, this isn't a bigger help, but you know, like that's just the way it is. Like there, you'll see someone will say, like, here's something. If you see like, here's five players that Jay should target a free agency. That's probably not what you're looking for. But if you say, like, here's a group of players with a skill that they could fit, you know, like they're doing something different that could fit with the team, okay, then that's the kind of thing you want to read. Uh, next one from BK at underscore Bcoon uh, underscore. You can have only one, Springer or Bauer. Who do you pick? Now, uh, someone answered the question for us. It's Ellie Ellie Hart, who I think this backs up my she's in a mischievous mood. She has she has grabbed, of course, a Simpsons reference. Uh, and it's Homer going, oh, geez, I'll take a crab juice, which is to say uh, awesome reference. And no, I don't think we want either Springer or Bauer in our heart. But this isn't about our heart, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's certain baggage that comes with both. So that's like Ellie, Ellie gets our gold star like. We don't have the sound ready because I, I just brought that out, but you, you've earned that. <laughs> you enjoyed that. Man, no, that's, that's the wrong one. I thought writers hated cliches. Oh, you blew it. I blew it. I was I was so ready and I hit the wrong one. <laughs> um, but taking the you know the baggage from well, I guess you can't really take it out, but to me it's Springer. Um, I think that he brings defense in center field for now, which the Jays don't have great defense in center field. He's a power bat who makes a ton of contact, which is, you know, the Jays don't have that. And he thrives against top velocity, which, again, is a problem for the Blue Jays. Trevor Bauer obviously has his issues with women, especially. And I think that that's has to come into account more so than George Springer was on the cheating Astros in 2017. But 
I also think that there are enough good pitchers and that like it's strange to think that the Jays should get a hitter, but I actually think that the defensive upgrade and the lineup upgrade would be bigger than getting, say, James Paxton with 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 Springer or even you know Taiwan Walker or something like that. Well, yeah, and I feel like you're you're right that the Blue Jays outfield does not does not have a a great defender, a consistently great defender in it. Um, you know, Randall Grichuk is is acceptable, but on the other side of the ball, to have Springer's numbers and the better defense, yeah, I I totally get where you're coming from. Well, and, and here's the thing too: say you get George Springer, that we were talking about flexibility and options with Vlad in the opening segment of the show. If you get George Springer, all of a sudden you can trade one of Guriel or Hernandez or Rowdy Tellez if he has any value. I have no idea if he does or not. Because you can move someone to DH or to a, or move Grichuk into one of the two corners. And, you know, that gives you so much flexibility, especially with these, you know, the cheap teams, the way they're going to be operating this offseason. Because Guriel, Hernandez, and Tellez all make very little money and they will have a lot of value to other teams. Well, especially the first, the two outfielders. So yeah, I, I think that that would be fascinating to, to watch like how they'd operate if they got a guy like Springer. I still feel like it's between Mountain Dew and Crab Juice though. Yeah. So now we move on to me. Apparently I'm, I'm going to try and press the correct button for what is our favorite thing to do, which is that you ought to do over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... I'm not even going to hold back the suspense here. Justin Turner, come on down for your do... Actually, no, do not come on down. Stay back. <laughs> Stay very far away. <laughs> At least six feet. <laughs> Literally. Do not come on down under any circumstances. What on earth went wrong first? And then to make it so much wronger by not respecting the fact that he very much, yes, I know you want to be on the field to celebrate your World Series victory. But surprise, the World Series trophy is around all offseason. You are putting your teammates at risk in a very real way. Why? I mean, I get the why, but also the why not should have been the more <laughs> overriding sentiment. Um, yeah, I, it's insane. I mean, it's also insane that he was allowed to play because he had an inconclusive test the day before, like before the game. And then he got this positive test in the second inning or whatever it was. It's like, how... How is he? I, I don't care if it's a World Series. If he's not showing a negative test, he shouldn't be allowed on the field. Yeah. So it's not just his do-over. It's a do-over to the to the system. Of course, the season started with them screwing up the very first day where the Nationals <laughs> played with Juan Soto's test, and it ended on the exact same way with with Springer's Turner's. Yeah, sorry, Turner. That's still on the last <laughs> you got, question. You yeah. got Springer on I, the brain. Speaking of players, I wouldn't mind the Jays getting in free agency. Justin Turner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he's going to figure out how these protocols and tests work, I'm sure he's going to have time to think about that. I the other part was like I, the ultimate do over is for security. Yeah. Can you imagine someone who got a baseball uh, by leaning over into the field of play, just strenuously objecting to security? <laughs> And being allowed to stay in the ballpark, you have uh, you have a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he really was adamant. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. You you should be more adamant. It's your job to be adamant. He's just excitable. Yeah, what <laughs> a mess. So, uh, yeah, Justin Turner, respect other people and yourself. And, you know, when you're when you're COVID positive, the simple do over is to isolate yourself. That's easy, isn't it? The World Series ring that you get will last forever. Ah, so might the disease you have passed on. Aww. Our second thing, which I'm putting this literally under. I don't do not know. Is it awesome or is it horrible? Um, we were talking previously <laughs> about the uh, 
uh, award finalists. And one okay, of the award, of the uh, yeah, manager of the year. One of the award finalists for manager, manager of the year was the surprising Chicago White Sox were helmed uh, by Rick Renteria. And the surprising Chicago White Sox fired Rick Renteria. <laughs> and then they were put in the awkward position of acknowledging on their Twitter account his nominee for manager of the year. You did such a great job. We let you go. Um, this actually happened to Dwayne Casey as well in, in the NBA. Uh, he won. They, yeah, he won. So they congratulated Rick with a period at the end of the sentence. <laughs> Congratulations to Rick Renteria on being named a finalist for AHL manager of the year. <laughs> That's how you read it. And I said AGL for some reason. AL. AL. Yeah. That it's is like, all. how do you say that? It's like, congratulations, <laughs> guy. We fired you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow. Uh, we are not having any second thoughts about. It, it's that. I don't know. Have you ever seen the Dilbert strip where they go? So and so will no longer be uh, uh, here today. Uh, we would like you to note that we did not uh, wish him well in his further endeavors um, and, and did not reflect uh, any great amount on his time at the company or his contributions here. And, and someone goes, uh, it was a little harsh of you to comment after, after that on the memo. He's like, no, I wasn't commenting. I was just reading the footnote on the memo. <laughs> it's like someone <laughs> literally included Rick Renteria's. Yeah. We had to let uh, you go. Anyway. So, and, uh, Andy at underscore rally cap, who's a Toronto based guy very good fun twitter follow so you should follow him if you're not he uh, he responded to the the tweet from the bbwaa with the finalists he said tired kevin cash wired charlie montoya fired <laughs> 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 oh my yeah it's it's clearly not what you would have expected but that's why i don't know what to think about it because if they hadn't acknowledged it at all it would it would be even somehow more awkward if that's possible uh, and then they hired, are you kidding me? Tony LaRussa. Yeah. That's got to be a discussion for a whole other podcast. We'll come back. We'll circle back to that one. The next time we have uh, another thought, uh, thoughts. Yes. I believe we are at the part of the evening where I ask for thoughts and I will ask for your final one on this, the, uh, first podcast of the off season. Yeah. So the, uh, we talked about some of the, the roster moves that the Blue Jays have made. And they still have, you know, there's still a couple of weeks before this, but then, you know, the non-tender deadline, I think that with the stuff that we've seen to this point, I think that even again, if they give it was unlikely that they'd tender Travis Shaw because he'd make four or five million, I think he's gone for sure now, which makes the Vlad willing to play third base thing even a little bit more interesting and because you know, they'll have more options and, you know, I'm kind of happy to see him go if that happens because I, I was happy when we got him. Like I was, we, you know, the Blue Jays, like I was thrilled. I thought he was a good option, a good, you know, especially because the team wasn't really contenders, but they're contenders now and you need better. So need an, at least an incremental improvement at third base. And Travis Shaw doesn't look like he's going to do that anytime soon. Uh, my final thought is about the uh, three batter rule, which you and I, I think are both like not overly impressed with. Uh, but when I think about, unnecessary pitching changes that may have necessitated the three batter rule being put in place. There is one name that comes before all others. And I think it's a lesson in protecting your brand that literally Joe Girardi was the guy to come out and say out loud what everybody else was thinking at the cats JCC awards ceremony for um, in, in Philadelphia he, he 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 said, quote, if the commissioner is listening, it's the dumbest rule that we've ever put in. And from what I saw, the games were not sped up, end quote. Could there <laughs> be weren't. a more Joe Girardi opinion? <laughs> and oh. how much do you think he's going to get fined for that? <laughs> if Joe Kelly got eight games... What do, what does Joe Girardi get? Yeah. Uh, so yes, the king of the un, uh, unnecessary pitching change is actually offended that he can no longer do unnecessary pitching changes. Yep. All That's right. Why. Yeah. 
it, it, it affected him personally. So, uh, this is to say that you have been uh, Josh Housem at Joshua Housem. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And our guest was Shai Davidi at Shai Davidi. And uh, this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 187. And we will talk at you in a couple of weeks or when the hot stove finally heats up. We did it. I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com.